We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of The Nude Bomb on May 9th, 1980. It was written by Bill Dana, Arne Sultan, and Leonard Stern, based on characters by Mel Brooks and Buck Henry, directed by Clive Donner, and released by Universal. Co-creators Mel Brooks and Buck Henry notably had no involvement in the making of the film. And very very obvious <laughs> yeah it's not it doesn't feel like their work only two members of the series came back to portray characters in the film but uh edward platt who played the chief previously had died in 74 so the chief here is played by dana elkar how long ago like wh- when was the tv show on i don't actually know it was the 60s yeah but this is quite a big gap between the end of the show and the movie i think so um, Barbara Feldon, who played Agent 99 in the series, was never even asked to reprise her role and is essentially replaced by the Andrea Howard character as Agent 22. Uh, Smart's agency Control from the series was renamed Pitts for the film. Control, despite always appearing in all caps, didn't stand for anything, where Pitts stands for Provisional Intelligence Tactical Service. This film was nominated for a Razzie for Worst Picture, but it didn't win it. Is it 19- really? Yeah. It doesn't seem necessary. No, it doesn't seem necessarily at all. It doesn't fit in any of the with any of the other movies that were nominated for Razzies. Like for, for Worst Picture? That was the Razzie, yep. not for, for actors or anything? Yep. That is undeserving. Yeah. Uh, in 1982, it was repackaged as a TV movie called The Return of Maxwell Smart. The original title of the film before the producers forced the nude bomb plot into the script and title. So originally it was not about a bomb that makes people naked, but the producers fell in love with that idea because it would trick people into watching it Yeah, when there's no nudity, female frontal nudity in this film. Um, That's the only with, reason I go to movies. With the exception of one transparent shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Despite its box office failure, it was followed by a second TV movie, Get Smart Again, that featured more of the original cast returning, and obviously a 2008 reboot, Starring Steve Carell and Anne Hathaway, that did much better in the box office. And I and I was watching the opening sequence of this with Don Adams. I was yeah. like, "Oh my god, he looks exactly like Steve Carell." Yeah, like, it's uncanny. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like, "Oh, Steve, he looks like Steve Carell in the Get Smart movie." It's like, no, he just looks like Brick Tamlin. Like he looks yeah. like Steve Carell before he was trying to be Don Adams. Unless he's trying, been trying the whole time, and I just didn't notice. That I could didn't be. get the reference that he was just a huge Don Adams fan. We open with this Maurice Binder style opening titles with random shapes and colors appearing like the beginning of an early James Bond film. Um, this is sort of a, a precursor to the Austin Powers movies, I would say. I, I thought that this was an ad for the movie. When it's uh, the way it starts up? Yeah, yeah, because this is like, would you believe? I was like, I know, okay, that's a saying. That's one of his, his expressions, but... I was like, because some movies, like when you watch them on DVD or whatever, um, they'll have an ad, especially if it's an older movie. Yeah. Like they'll have the, like the trailer before the movie starts. Right. Like and, how trailers now have trailer trailers. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I thought for sure, oh, I was like, okay, they're just showing what the the, the, the advertisements were like before the movie actually starts. It's like, yeah. oh, no, this is, this is the movie? <laughs> well, I think it was originally planned as a TV movie, and it has that style to it a little bit. Mm. And then eventually they were like, oh, there's enough people who care about this. We could probably put this in theaters and make something on it. Well, yeah, when it first started, I was confused because it's, you know, it's cut like, or it's shot 4-3. Yeah, and, it, and, and, that and was the first, transfer that we had, but I, I, I think it think- wasn't shot. I think it was. I was watching throughout the movie, and it felt like everything was center shot. It didn't feel out of the ordinary. I thought that too, but on IMDb, it does say that it was shot 185. Oh, okay. Which, I mean, this picture was not 185. It was 4-3. My, yeah, my first impression as someone who never sees the show was just, that could very easily be Steve Carell in this shot. And I, right. <laughs> like, I can't tell for sure that it's not. Um, and that kept happening over the course of the movie. Like, I would just get a shot where I was like, 
that shot, he looked especially like Steve Carell. And it's not even just the face or the hair, like the body shape and the mm-hmm. way he moves and the way he like grits his teeth and everything. It's all the same. But yeah, it starts with, would you believe that a movie called The Nude Bomb would be rated PG? Because this is before PG-13, which is right. what the film would have been rated. Um, Again, leading me to believe that this is an advertisement. Yes. Because <laughs> why would you include the rating in the film? But oh well. We start on a plane with a skydiving team. And Max is sitting at the end of a row of people. Presumably he's undercover here until his shoe phone starts ringing. And uh, he doesn't answer it for a while because he doesn't want to give himself away as a secret agent. Until someone just blatantly points out, ah, your shoe is ringing. And then when he answers it, it's the chief. But while he's talking with the chief, it's kind of like that scene in The Avengers with Black Widow. Where he's getting a call from his boss and he's like... She's being interrogated and... And he's just like talking like they're not all there. Like, oh yeah, no, they got a gun in my face and I'm I'm, I'm trying to get some information here. But uh, okay, well, yeah, I guess if I got to be back there, I guess I'll fight all these people now. And uh, he apologizes in advance before kicking the lead the lead skydiver out the window the one who had the gun on him right and then he stands in the doorway and he's like i'm gonna go get him and bring him back you all wait here but they all follow him out and they fight all the way to the ground he doesn't have a parachute on by the end of this sequence but there's no repercussion to that at yeah. all there's a couple of times that this happens yeah where he's just falling out of the sky with no parachute and then they just cut to okay we're gonna introduce the villain now yeah um and the villain is six sand sauvage yeah um and it's this guy who uh his face is completely covered and he's dressed in like this weird like supervillain gear um, he almost looks like he's dressed out of planet of the apes like, sure it's like a very dr zeus with with the exception of like the sock stocking over his face yeah it seems like something that dr zeus would wear <laughs> yeah um and this is him I guess this is like a, a nationwide threat that's being broadcast, but we don't we never see like a reaction to that, so it's not clear that that's what's happening. Yeah. But, um, he's announcing that he has something called the nude bomb. It will destroy all clothing. He hasn't made any demands yet, but he says they will come shortly. We see Max getting out of an airport into a taxi, and the taxi immediately pulls into a Marvel moving truck, which is not the first time that we've seen a person in a taxi inside of a moving truck with Dana Elkar. Yeah. I got really excited. I was like, I wonder if Pat's going to mention this. <laughs> because in Murdoch's introductory episode, Partners, they uh, they get trapped in a taxi in a junkyard that gets pushed into a moving truck and driven out into the middle of the desert. Fun trivia point for all you MacGyver fans. He's uh, very quickly introduced to the team that are all in the car with him. While they're sitting in this taxi, the car is being like repainted robotically from from within the moving truck so that they can't be tailed basically one of the people he meets is agent 36 she says she's read all of his files and he says wouldn't you like to hear my side and she says i think you're great and he says oh you have heard my side <laughs> he's introduced to these two like teenage doctor characters who are i guess brother and sister yeah the brother and sister and he starts to tell them about like a medical issue that he's having um, because Not he assumes that, kind that, of doctor. <laughs> that because they're doctors that they can help him. But he says that he had a chili dog at a Japanese restaurant. <laughs> and he just glosses over that very quickly. Um, but that he's not feeling well. He meets the, the weapons expert Carruthers. Um, and he said, well, there's a lot of people out there who'd like to see me dead. And then Carruthers says, they're not all out there. <laughs> he's like, wait a minute. They are, uh, they are awaiting a phone call from the president. And I think this is in Griffith Park. I'm not 100% sure on that. Agent 22 surprises them. Max pulls his gun on her, and she fires one into the barrel of his gun and knocks it mm. out of his hand. I was right. They very quickly spend a lot of time going through all of Maxwell Smart's catchphrases. Right. And that was like the most frustrating thing for me as a fan of the show to watch. Is just like Overuse like, of the fan service lines. Yeah, because like the, the regular joke is, the old blank in the blank trick. Yeah. You know, and and the Would you believe? Would you believe and the and loving it. Yeah. When he's whenever like he's described in the situation of danger that he's going to be in. Yeah. It didn't really bother me cuz I've never seen the show. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, that's they 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 it was unnoticeable if you weren't familiar with them. See, I think I think this this is going to create kind of an interesting dynamic between the three of us in that i knew that this would be the situation though where you would have seen these episodes and we would not have okay because you have a better handle on 
the older TV shows. Because when I was a kid, my dad just showed us movies pretty much. We yeah. never watched reruns. Yeah, I watched a lot of Nick at Night. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so she fired her gun directly into his barrel just in self-defense. She wasn't trying to hurt him because he didn't realize she was a part of their team yet. Of course, the old bullet in the barrel trick. He takes his own gun, pulls her bullet out of it, and goes to put it into his pants and accidentally fires it. And then he has to check and make sure he didn't do any permanent damage. And then he uses another one of his catchphrases here. Missed it by that much. Who's that football player that shot himself in the leg? <laughs> Just by carrying it in his oh, sweatpants. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Burris? Yeah. He was. He <laughs> brought a gun to a club and accidentally yeah. shot himself in the leg in the offseason. That's, uh, that's brilliant. They all start to get back into the car, and then Max notices that 22 is just gone. And then uh, the chief explains that she majored in vanishing. <laughs> so she just keeps disappearing and reappearing. I like that the it's vanishing and not like camouflage yeah. or. You it know, makes it sound very magical. Like vanishing. <laughs> <laughs> they arrive at Max's new office. Uh, we hear 22's voice, but we still can't see her anywhere. They're outside the building, and Max is confused at the disembodied voice. I'm always looking for it. He falls down a flight of stairs. When they get to the hallway outside of his room, he knocks. He says, you knock on the bell and you ring the door. Mm -hmm. Because the wall is a door and the door is a wall. And if you get it backwards, then you'll be electrocuted. He goes to meet with Carruthers and find his inventions for the next mission. Um, And Carruthers is like his cue here. Yeah. So he gives him a new set of shoes. One of them has a a touchtone phone. And the oh, other one has cue. an answering machine. Sorry, when you said his cue, I was like... Star Trek cue, style? No, his cue to do what? <laughs> no. No, his, his, his bond cue. Yes. Got it. <laughs> Quartermaster. That's what Q stands for. Quartermaster. Because he's in charge of all the quarters. No, they don't use quarters. He catches one of Carruthers' men uh, checking for bugs in his bedroom, which I was sure would pay off later. I didn't even watch all of the Get Smart movie today when t- in preparation for this. Like the, the newer the one, Steve the Steve Carell one. one. I only watched part of it. But there's so many references, I even think, to this movie. Or maybe even the show, because I haven't seen the right, show. Right. But like the gadget he gets that keeps coming into play, like the Swiss Army knife thing. Yeah. And the um, there's an electronic bug fly that I assumed was a, sort of a reference to this. And then he falls out of an airplane without a parachute. It yeah. seems like a lot of... Let's just rewrite this movie again. Yeah, there was there were a lot of scenes that were in both. Um, and later we'll have the, the Cone of Silence is in both films. Right. Uh, but those are probably all made appearances on the show, too. Right. The, the, the Cone of Silence was a running gag on the show in that they had to give top secret information to each other, but they had to go inside these little bubbles and they could never yeah. hear what the other one was saying. Yes. <laughs> As they're coming out of the building, assassins start firing on them from this black truck. Of course, the old big black truck trick. One of the bullets hits the parking meter and <laughs> knocks a bunch of change onto the ground. And as Max is trying to shoot back at them, he's also grabbing fists full of change. <laughs> like he needs to do it right now in the middle of this gunfight. The truck swerves around to come back for him. And he falls backward onto his back as the truck drives over the top of him. Which is a really cool stunt, actually. It's, yeah. a, it's a crazy stunt. I don't know how they did this. I think it must have been happening in slow motion. I thought at first that it was in reverse, mm-hmm. but the way it, he falls down, he I don't think it's any in safer reverse. in reverse, though. It is safer in reverse in that you're just, like, you already gauged that he's low enough that he'd be under the truck, but that he knows when to stand up so that he doesn't hit his head on the car. Yeah. Like, so it's just as, as far as the timing of them passing over each other. And then you just speed it up. Yeah. But I, I think what they actually did was they did it forward. They just had to do it a bunch of times until they got the timing exactly right. Uh, 22 compliments him on this on this uh, stunt that he pulled laying down backwards in front of the truck. And she asks when he thought it up. And he said, when I stepped on this banana peel, um, implying that it was not on purpose at all. And it does kind of look like the person slipping when I backed it up to rewatch it. Uh, and, and it is important to note that he actually does destroy this car when after he the car right, drives yes. over him he gets back up immediately and fires a shot and blows the car up yeah then we get a shot of sebastiani who is like a dr no ripoff mm-hmm. um he has like a claw for a hand which i think dr no had a claw right um no i think you're thinking of dr claw no i think dr no had a claw hand but this guy is also walking with a pronounced limp and he has an eye patch and he has a very scraggly voice lost both his hands in an accident 
and they were replaced by powerful mechanical black steel hands. There you go. But they're not claws. Right. I just remember he did some kind of a trick for Bond where he like smashed something in his yeah, hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good pull though, Pat. I did not remember that. He walks into the, the Chaos headquarters, basically this base in a mountain, and he speaks with uh, Savage. Savage says that his suit protects him from pollution. It's not just for style. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, he's going to set off this bomb and he's going to be able to dress the whole planet and they're going to have to do everything that he says. Sebastiani is nervous um, because a bomb recently went off in his laboratory, which cost him his arm, his leg, his larynx, and his eye. Mm-hmm. And they decide that they need to test these nude bombs, or at least they've already tested them, but they want to show the world that they work. Right. So they set a few off in different places. We see one go off like outside the Kremlin and a bunch of diplomats carrying briefcases are suddenly completely naked with just their briefcases covering themselves. One gets dropped in the middle of a football game while a bunch of men are in a huddle and we just have a bunch of butts. Another one lands where Max is speaking at the UN right he's sitting around a table with the leaders or or uh, ambassadors from all these different countries and at first he says that he doesn't think that the nude bomb is real he thinks it's a fake threat that's just mm-hmm. made up and then he suggests that to avoid getting bugged that they all enter the the cones of silence and no one can hear anybody inside of their cones uh this, this scene also has as the only the only part that really kind of gave me a chuckle uh was uh one of the diplomats saying Perhaps this is a good thing. Without uniforms, there'd be no war because <laughs> no one will know who the enemy is. <laughs> Whether Nigerian or, or he goes, we will know. <laughs> <laughs> They're the only the only group that would know who the enemy are. Still, Wait, that's the only part that gave you a chuckle in this whole movie. Uh, there was one other part we'll get to, but really, I, yeah. there was another thing in this scene that I kind of liked, which was when they're handing the paper around to tell everyone to turn off the cones of silence. Yeah, that it only has Foley when it's between the two cones but as soon as it enters like doesn't matter how much the person shakes it up to read it it's not crackling yeah. at all <laughs> so it's it's uh, literally muting everything even even as max is continuing to deny the existence of the nude bomb one goes off in the room and suddenly everyone is naked agent 13 starts to give oh, we didn't talk about agent 13 before when they were in the office he was suggesting agent 13 would be great to bring onto the case mm-hmm. and he says you got to understand he's 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 top shelf. He's a great... And he's like, actually, I'm bottom shelf. And he slides out of the bottom shelf of this cabinet that they just brought in. Is this how he always appeared in the show? I I can't remember if it was Agent 13. But yeah, there was always an agent inside of some some object. So that that same agent was always the one that would appear inside something. I don't think it was this particular guy, even though this is one of the actors from the series who came back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he played a different character on the show. Okay. Uh, I, it might even be the Bill Murray character. It is. Agent yeah. 13 is the Bill Murray character yeah. in, the, in the reboot. <laughs> I'll, I'll come back and see it. No, you won't. No, you won't. Yes, I will. No, you won't. <laughs> Did you come back this way? I, yeah. Yeah, I think I will. What time? Well, hmm. I get it. Who wants to talk to a guy in a tree? <laughs> I, I get it. But yeah, so he's been trying to bring Agent 13 on and he finally got uh, the chief to approve Agent 13 to join the team. But here, Agent 13 is driving him home from the UN and he suggests that food could replace clothing if all the clothes are going to disappear. He says a head of romaine lettuce would clothe a family of six. Um, the, their car pulls into the... Sorry. Were you... Well, I was going to say, like this is another kind of gag from the show where he someone suggests something and he... he he shrugs it off as being ridiculous, but then is somehow more intrigued. <laughs> like the yeah, more he... so, hold on, you have to explain this yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, because I liked it when he's like, he's like, now wouldn't it spoil? <laughs> he's like, well, no, you just have to be more careful with it. And you can just like hang it up over your chair. You'd have to fold it up and put it in the refrigerator. <laughs> I think the face he makes after Linguini is what reminded me the most of Steve Carell in this scene. When he's like, it's like, you take a... You take a melon and you scoop everything out of it. You got yourself a bra. Well, what's going to hold it together? Linguini. Linguini. (laughs) Uh, But they pull back up to uh, Max's office and they pull straight into the parking structure. But then the car rises up through the floor into the building. Uh, Carruthers introduces Max to the D1 turbocharger desk mobile. 
that goes from zero to 60 in five seconds. It's a desk with like a racing chair behind it. Mm -hmm. And if you turn the key in one of the drawers, it actually starts an engine and converts the whole thing into a vehicle. Um, He says it gets 35 highway and 12 in a living room. (laughs) This is another uh, joke. that I love this joke. This is great. He's like, oh, it runs on ink. And he's like, oh, it runs on ink. That's great. This could solve the whole fuel shortage. And he's like, it's a special ink we can only get from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so it's just the same as oil. It doesn't, it's not an improvement at all. After everybody leaves, 22 surprises Max at the bar in his room. She's trying to tell him something. We never know what because the whole time he's acting like she's making romantic advances that he's rejecting. But since she never gets to finish the sentence, we don't know what she was talking about. But then when he finally gets her completely out of the room and leaving, he says, I will consider dating you when the case is over and she smiles like she's excited to know that even though it seems like that's not what she was interested in or trying to talk to him about at all um he opens up the wall to his bedroom and 36 is in his bed completely naked this reminded me of the beginning of the spy who shagged me when uh what's her name from third rock was playing the model that was right right in the fur coat on the bed for the photo shoot but she's wearing like his his uh bathrobe and she's laying in the bed because she says she uh came there she got there way before he did and she was tired so she took a shower to wake herself up but it didn't work and she fell asleep and so she's naked in his bed 22 comes back in uh right when 36 runs in to go to the bathroom and he's standing there holding her underwear and tries to come up with an excuse for why he has it that it was part of a disguise or something like well, that. He said, well, would you believe it's my training bra? Yeah. <laughs> when, and when she's in the bathroom, like the toilet keeps flushing. Yeah. <laughs> and I just like to think that she drops some major deuce. Yeah. And she's really happy. It was a heart. three flusher. <laughs> it was like a Trump turd. She had to just keep going. He, he tells her that it's, it's uh, one of those clock toilets that just flushes multiple times, like to tell you what time it is. He's like, oh, wow, three o'clock. Time flies when you're having fun. I'm getting horrible PTSD of the time gun. Yeah, exactly. Right. When, when he said it goes off every hour on the hour, I was like, that's so privatized. Three o'clock. Well, time certainly flies when you're having fun, doesn't it? Right as he's finishing explaining himself, uh, 36 comes out and he decides that he's going to try and introduce them to each other so he says 36 22 22 36 <laughs> he just like starts laughing to himself <laughs> about his dumb boob joke um and then uh 22 basically storms out angry 36 tells him that jonathan levinson's seagull is mm-hmm. going to call uh this is one of the writers of the film playing this right. character uh, also the the play on jonathan livingston seagull yeah but this is Levinson. But it's also interesting because Siegel is the name of the guy who directed the reboot, Peter Siegel. Mm. Um, just a coincidence, obviously. And when uh, he he calls and tells them, "Oh, I'm about to meet with this like this wealthy woman who wanted to buy something, but uh, come by my office. Here's the address." So when they get to his address, he's like on the verge of death, and they keep flipping back and forth between whether they're going to call an ambulance or. Uh, the morgue of uh, the morgue this this was the other scene that made me laugh because it, it keeps like they keep getting indications one way or another that he is dead or not dead and so they keep flipping back and forth even though you would just call an ambulance either way because yeah. an ambulance takes people to the morgue all the time they visit him in the hospital to try and get clues from him and he has to like hum songs right it's to like try that, to give them clues it reminded me of short circuit too when they're yeah. trying to send messages with the touch tone signal to uh <laughs> to indicate where they are like I'm trying to remember what. Help the, me, Rhonda. Help me, Rhonda. Help, yeah. help me, Rhonda. And then down, down. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, oh, they're down, down. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> that's a weird reference to make. No, I, I, honestly, I was thinking of the exact same thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so they they go and visit him, and they get whatever clues they can, which is basically the name Dolly. That he tries to say something about a saint, and that the person is in California. So they need to go to California and get in touch with someone named Saint. But now they go to California, and right as they're getting to California to visit someone, I forget who, what their lead was, Dolly? Dolly, yeah, uh, and they, they're going to go to her locker uh, at the studio, which right. is the Universal Studios. Right, but before that, they go to her house, 
where she was attacked or or it had just been robbed she was abducted Mm. yeah and uh when they're outside with the realtor or the the landlady basically they're like hi we need to talk to you about this crime that just happened and she's like let me see your badge and he holds up his badge and she's like that doesn't look like you at all and he's like it's my thumbprint and so (laughs) she she grabs his thumb and then compares it to the thumbprint all right and then he's like i think we may need to see the room and she's like okay come on up it's 300 a month but uh keep in mind it's gonna be a mess right now because (laughs) there's just an attack and they're like she's trying to sell them a place um but yeah she says that if she they were looking for a piece of clothing and they said if she has the clothing that it might be with her at her job at universal studios where she worked as a as one of the tour guides Mm -hmm. um so they go to the actual universal tour guide locker room you can see banners in the background for uh last married couple in america coal miner's daughter and god we trust which we haven't covered yet as he's walking up to universal he picks up popular spy magazine and he turns it to a certain page and agent 13 is in the magazine yeah and uh he reveals what we didn't realize before that 22 was married to an another agent 78 who has since left control or Mm -hmm. pits um, but but thirteen reveals twenty two was yeah. twenty one. It was like yeah, he he died in seventy eight. Twenty two was married to the late great seventy eight. Wasn't he a little old for her? Well, let's see. Twenty two was twenty one when she married seventy eight. Seventy two, seventy eight was forty six. That means seventy eight was twenty two, thirty two, forty. Twenty five years older than twenty two. Twenty two joined Pitts when seventy eight died in seventy five. And then we move into that locker room. And that that's another kind of joke from the show (laughs) yeah and then he's like how did he die again he's like oh he was following that numbers racket (laughs) max uh encounters some of the bad guys and they get in a shootout during the stunt show which i don't know where the stunt show was located at the park but i was guessing that it would be where the stunt show is now which is the water world show um i don't know i do remember when i was really young seeing this wild west stunt show yeah uh because i remember like that when he comes up out of the bucket or when he because there was like a a bottomless bucket yeah the, there was like all these like little things like people get would like sink into quicksand but they would end up coming up somewhere else you yeah know? uh so i don't know where this was i imagine it must have been before it was Waterworld. i think it was miami vice or maybe for a while it was miami vice could have been late 80s too though yeah so maybe it changed a couple of times there it could also have been i mean not that they can't erect stadium seating in a short amount of time but right there's also that the animal show it could have been in that area that's true um but i, I don't know for sure um but yeah they uh they move on to the the gunfight moves from this wild west stunt show to the studio tour and they go into one of the tunnels which i think is now the the earthquake subway tunnel but it used to be like this battlestar galactica yeah thing with all these cylons shooting at each other and uh so they're shooting back and forth around all these alien robots and then uh, they move past the psycho house really quickly suddenly they're on the back lot and they're like literally crashing these the actual tour vehicles into each other on the back lot which is pretty cool and then we get the parting of the seas which i don't think is there anymore Uh, i think it's still there the last few times i've been on the ride they they haven't done that part of it so i i don't know i don't know and this is and this is where we get the transparent shirt scene right yes uh they're they're driving through this lake and the water is parted but they're pretending that there's too many people on board and they need people to get off in order to get out of this lake Mm -hmm. and uh they convince some passengers to jump out because they'll get to walk on water and they just all willy-nilly start piling out of the thing and uh then the the tram just drives away and then this woman pops up with a completely drenched shirt um and everyone's just like wait where's the where's the bus going but yeah, and then the the last of the of the tour parts is when one of the bad guys gets dumped in uh, the lake at uh, Amity, which is actually pretty impressive that Universal set this up because this is only a couple years after Jaws. Um, yeah, and so that they 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 jumped on that. They jumped that shark. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's it's actually considering like back in the day that they that within five years they had the ride up and running and it's still pretty much the same as it is now. yeah to think that 40 years later it looks the exact same as it did in this clip because we were watching it we showed it to the kids and jack was like oh that's the shark from your work mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like yep that's the dock that we stand on when we're looking at it 
But yeah, so that's basically the end of this chase here. Well, except that Maxwell's in the water with Jaws approaching him. Yeah. And then it just cuts away. Yeah. I was like, ah. But uh, he's back at the office and they've basically come to the conclusion uh, through the evidence that they've acquired that Nino Salvatore Sebastiani might be the nude bomber, but he's at least involved in this scheme. Max meets a new agent, 34, who takes him on a drive to meet with Edith von Seckenberg. She lives at, like at the bottom of a hill in this snowy area. So we get the requisite spy movie scene of skiing downhill. Because mm-hmm. as they're driving, they come to a place where an avalanche has taken out the road. So they ski down to her home. And Max is posing as an insurance salesman. An avalanche insurance salesman. <laughs> He is trying to warm up, so he walks with his skis right up to the fireplace until they catch fire. I did like the moment here where he says, Do you mind if I call you, Edith? And she's like, I'd like that. Particularly since that's my name. You'll find I answer a lot faster to it than I would if you called me Marion. I'm going to level with you, Marion. May I call you Marion? But yeah, uh, suddenly a couple of henchmen enter the cabin, and Max and 34 are able to fight them off very quickly. But the sounds of the fight trigger an avalanche. And it basically ends with Edith and Max and... 34. Uh, 34 just have their legs sticking out of the, this snowy hillside. Uh, the next day back at the office, the computer systems seem to have more information than they did before. We keep zooming into Carruthers like he's the person responsible for this. That he's like su- suddenly suddenly the analysis is much more complicated than it was max goes to board a plane and 13 tells him that he found a bomb on board uh, at first max suspects 36 because 36 isn't there but nobody's there yet so i don't know why 36 mm-hmm. was the was the first suspect 36 shows up so he thinks it's the twins and then the twins shows up so he thinks it's carruthers and carruthers shows up so he thinks it's larabee and uh, larabee shows up and they at this point have to say okay i guess it's agent 22 since she's the only person who's not on the plane other than the chief and then 22 shows up yeah something i suspected all along agent 22 sorry i'm late is always late (laughs) (laughs) the the chief shows up uh in max's office later that day because the flight was canceled so max goes back to the office where the chief is there with a gun he's trying to take max out but then the chief is thrown to the floor when the car comes up through the floor and tips the couch over that the chief was sitting in. they This starts a high-speed chase because the chief gets into the car and drives it out of the building. And then Max chases him down with his desk. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he, during the chase, he starts opening fire like into crowds of people. Yes. Yeah. And he blows up a truck. <laughs> and I was That's like, being driven. It's like, did he kill somebody? Uh, but they're, they're moving through... That big park in downtown LA. And then there's a little bit where they're on the Universal Backlot again. And then suddenly a cop is pulling the desk over. The, Max, desk, the desk is really maneuverable. I'm yeah. really impressed with this prop. Like, yeah, it, it was cool. They made an actual running desk for this gag. Yeah. And it's it, great. It, it looks like it might be one of those like trike motorcycles with the two wheels in the front. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the one wheel on the back. It's just like, but but it's it's a nice looking, enough looking prop that it's yeah. believable that this desk is just scooting along the ground. <laughs> uh, Max, he gets pulled over by a cop, but I don't remember much of their interaction. He's like, you were going pretty fast for a desk, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, like, he wasn't like concerned that it was a desk. Yeah. It's just like, you know, you're kind of going fast when you shouldn't have been. But they just move right back into the chase scene again. So apparently he pulled away from that cop super fast again. The chief basically causes like a pile up on a bridge and he's trying to climb over the hoods of cars to get away from Max, but Max basically tackles him over the edge of a bridge and the chief says that he knows where Chaos headquarters is, but that he won't tell him and then he says, "Well, I'll drop you if you don't tell me." And then he says, "Okay, fine, I'll tell you, but please don't tell them I told you." And then he says, I swear on my... And they lets go of his hand and drops him. But he lands into like a truck full of hay or something. Which is an actual person landing into a moving truck. It was a pretty mm-hmm. impressive shot. Because his head is really close to the back of it the way he lands. Back at uh, the Chaos headquarters, Savage kills Sebastiani. Who is... He's like... He opens up a hole in the ceiling to reveal a bunch of spikes in the ceiling. Yeah. And then he elevates the chair that Sebastiani was in. 
until he's basically impaled on these ceiling spikes, I guess is what's happening. It's a hilariously inefficient way to kill people. <laughs> well, it's just like, I mean, Dr. Evil just drops him down a chute, which makes a lot more sense. But pushing him up, like, wouldn't blood be gushing down? Or, like, wouldn't the body still fall down after the chair left? I don't understand what's keeping him up there. But that works somehow. The, the good guys all get to the base um, with the chief's instructions. And there's a big zipper for a door, which is a really cool prop because it seems like an actual functional zipper. I love this door. I think it's amazing. It was great. And uh, a woman comes out of the door and says, It's a magenta alert. We launched the bombs in 15 minutes. Max is very quickly caught after they sneak through this door and sits and argues with Savage. San Savage or Saint Savage, which is what the saint was a reference to in the the clue that they got earlier. Uh, He says, your bogus ingeniousness is straining my equanimity. And he says, could you put that another way? And he says, you're pissing me off. St. Savage, uh, his base looks almost exactly like the Dr. No cave when they're working on the warheads. He unveils the clonatory, which can both clone and merge people, which reminded me of an episode of Smallville with Jonathan Taylor Thomas, where he could turn into five people, but then turn back into one. And I was so jealous because, like, one of them could go to work, one of them could go to school, <laughs> one of them could... Well, it's basically multiple man. Yeah. The, the, but the, 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 the ability to go back into one at the end of it and only have to feed one person is the right. amazing part of it. Well, and that's how multiple man works. Too. Yeah. Yeah, but we... we he we, might be multiple man in that. We know from living with yourself that, in fact, we have to kill the previous clone every time we only want one clone there. So it seems kind of They're doing fine. Inefficient. Multiplicity and, and living with yourself make it clear that... You can get along fine with your clones. You just gotta be a good person. Even Calvin couldn't do it. And Calvin and Hobbes with scientific progress goes boink. He has a clone? Yeah, he makes a cloning machine and then he keeps cloning more and more of himself. I feel like I would I would be in a I would be in Doug's situation in multiplicity where it'd just be like, No, one of you goes to work, one of you gets to have fun all the time, and one of you does this other stuff and just Everybody split up and do their own thing, and we'll just come back here and share one amount of food for us. They, they never utilize the uncloning part of this machine again after this point. Yeah. Um, but once he's seen the cloning machine, Max understands, based on the shape of his face, that, oh, wait a minute, you are Sebastiani. You're the same guy. And he pulls off his mask to reveal it to everyone else. He offers them a place at Chaos. He offers it to um, to, 22. to 22 and Max to, to stay there and work with him. Um, and they refuse him. So Sebastiani clones himself multiple times and Max clones himself multiple times. And then suddenly there's an army of each of them firing back and forth at each other across yeah. this laboratory. The fight scene is wonderful because it's like choreographed so that they're all hidden each other in unison it and looks like synchronized swimming from yeah, above yeah they have these overhead shots so you can sort of see everybody working in unison in this beautiful pattern <laughs> and then at the end of this fight scene one of the times that max is going through the cloning machine a mini clone comes out which is credited as mini max yeah which i'm sure had some uh some some part in inspiring mini me's existence in the austin powers movies but um uh, Sebastiani pulls out a gun and kills all of each of these clones except mm. for one Max. Yeah. Might not even be the one we've been watching this whole time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I guess it doesn't matter. Um, and then It's Max, pretty dark. <laughs> it is dark because there's dead Maxwell smarts all over this room. It kind of uh, reminds me of the, uh, the ethical dilemma of the transporter. Yeah. Like in Star Trek. It's like, are, are you actually being transported or are you just being cloned and and then the original clone is being original of you is being destroyed yeah well that's why i've i've always said if a teleporter exists and if it's not a wormhole i'm not going to use it Mm. because i will i will step in through a circle into another room and have crossed light years and that's fine but if i'm literally being disassembled and reassembled I'm not confident in the continuity of my yeah. consciousness that that would be me on the other side of it. And that is Dr. McCoy's issue in yeah. Star Trek, is that he, he doesn't like it. No yeah. no faith in the, the Wonka vision? No, they killed Mike TV. Mike <laughs> TV is dead. All those kids are dead. Um, he just has a very efficient cloning facility. He killed all those children. Um, after the fight... 
22 rises to leave the room, but her legs are numb and she collapses. And Max is like, oh, don't worry, I got you. And then he tries to pick her up. And it's not like, the joke isn't that she's heavy. The joke is that Max is like the the weakest person in this yeah. room. And he can't lift her. <laughs> I was laughing so hard at this scene. Because first he he like drops her to the ground. And then he just tries to like kind of carry her along like just by her arms and then he turns around and he grabs her legs and he's dragging her backwards just dragging her face along the floor like face down and then he sets her legs down and he climbs completely under her (laughs) with her legs up over his shoulders like he's gonna just stand up and hold onto her legs and walk that way (laughs) and then does he say where did you go when he's underneath her she's on top of him and then uh and then he gets up and he just starts pushing her from one side, like, like just by both the hands butt. on her butt yeah. and just like pushing her across the room. And then she's like, I'm starting to get some feeling down there. And he says, there's no time for that, 22. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they, because now she can walk, they can actually leave this room before the laboratory explodes. Yeah. Um, and they walk out with the original chief because it turns out the chief that turned on him was a clone. Mm-hmm. Um, although that clone is still out there. Um, yeah, and and for some reason, evil. Yes. The base explodes, and uh, the fallout from all the nude bombs that were destroyed causes all of their clothes to disappear. So the three of them walk naked down the street with the word, the end, over each of their butts. And then that flies up to fill the screen, and that's the end of the film. I thought this was very funny. I thought it was much funnier than the Get Smart movie with Steve Carell. We talked about this a little bit this morning, uh... They they did it wrong. They got it wrong. They changed the character. So yeah. in in this movie, uh, he is incompetent but really successful at what he does. Yeah. And in the new Get Smart movie, I mean new being what is it? Ten. Two thousand eight. Yeah. Eleven years old now. Twelve. Twelve years old now. It's uh, he's completely competent but unsuccessful at everything mm-hmm. he does. It's it's exactly the wrong character. Yeah, where I, I feel like Steve Carell looks exactly right, but he's not playing the right character for that yeah. movie. Well, yeah, the, the the series is a lot like the Nude Bomb as far as, like, he he always is successful. Like he he gets the job done. But like, or I guess I I guess I would compare it to like MacGruber. MacGruber I was just gonna say because <laughs> it's like it's like MacGruber apparently has done all these missions, but just seeing this one mission, you go how. Yeah, but but then you see him complete it, and he goes, "Well, I guess it just works out." Yeah, it's very Pink Panther like, yeah. you know. But the the new movie doesn't play that way. The new movie plays like like Piper is the MacGruber of the movie. Yeah, where it's like he's doing everything right and by the book and exactly, and things just fail on him. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a different it's a different character, um, and also like from the very beginning, you can just tell exactly where the whole story is going. It like you said it. It has like the stench of an early 2000s movie yeah. <laughs> there's just like it oh it's just uh it just punched out of steel and just like put on an assembly line which is so sad because the cast of that movie is amazing it yeah. really is you know it had it, i mean aside from steve carell and anne hathaway you have uh dave kegner you have terry cruz yeah, you have Rock. uh alan arkin mm-hmm. it's just like it's just an amazing cast of characters and then they do nothing with them yeah and you have uh james Kahn as the president <laughs> but yeah this movie was directed by clive donner who will be back next year directing charlie chan and the curse of the dragon queen uh he directed a woody allen script by the name of what's new pussycat the writers for this were bill dana arn sultan and leonard stern who were all writers from the original series mm-hmm. not the creators obviously right Don Adams was Maxwell Smart, and the only other credit that I feel like <laughs> is worth mentioning is the exact same character in animated form, which is Inspector Gadget. Yeah. Um, he also apparently played uh, Brain in the 1999 Inspector Gadget movie. Yeah, he, he has one line that's in the post-credits. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm I, not even sure if it's was wasn't archival. Yeah. But uh, Inspector Gadget was such a great show, and it was really the same formula as mm-hmm. as uh, Agent Smart. Sylvia Crystal was Agent 34. 34 is the one that took him skiing. Skiing, yeah. Uh, she was in Airport 79, the one about the Concorde, and she was Emmanuel. Yeah, the, the titular Emmanuel. <laughs> the Emmanuel series. 
Um, I'm sure Jess is as familiar with Emmanuel as we are. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, Rhonda Fleming well, you, was... You realize my jokes like the titular <laughs> No, that's good, yes. It's a softcore trilogy, <laughs> and it's fantastic. We had them at our blockbuster, because that was the closest thing to porn that a blockbuster would carry. I think one of them was like Emmanuel in space. Wasn't there one in space? <laughs> Probably. Um, Rhonda Fleming uh, was Edith Von Seckenberg. Uh, she was Mary Carmichael in Spellbound. This was her last feature film. Dana Elkar, who I'm calling Dana now <laughs> to be yeah, professional. Um, he uh, he was on MacGyver. He was Pete on MacGyver. Second yeah. in command. I mean, he was first in command. Yeah, did, I, it, did, did you look this up at some point? He, no, there's he, a PSA at the beginning of an episode when he was suffering from uh, glaucoma and that it's affecting his vision and that he was going to be not on the show as often. And he calls him Dana. And I was like, oh, we've been saying his name wrong for seven and a half seasons. Yes. Oh, well, oh, well. Gotcha. He was all, also uh, Dmitry Moisevich in 2010, mm-hmm. the year we make contact. And he was Agent Polk in The Sting. Yeah. And uh, also in uh, All of Me. He plays Steve Oh, Martin. right. He's played Steve Martin's boss. Yeah. With uh, Michael Ensign was in that too, right? In All of Me? Uh, I he might have been. I can't remember, actually. I think he was one of the two guys that ran the business. Okay. It was him and Elkar, wasn't it? Yeah, he, Steve Martin worked, definitely worked for Elkar. Um, I think I they were partners. Okay. Thomas Hill was the president. Um, he played Carl Conrad Coriander in Never Ending Stories 1 and 2. Yeah. So that's fun. Joey Foreman played Agent 13 here. On the series, he played a character named Harry Who, which was a very racist uh, yellow face situation mm. where he had... A bunch of like fake prosthetics to make himself look asian um and very unfortunately his imdb profile picture is of of him in the asian prosthetics which just seems unfortunate but possibly appropriately in the 50s and 60s he did a nightclub comedy act with mickey rooney (laughs) (laughs) so uh, maybe it's fitting patrick gorman played the french delegate in the un scene he was the double for old steve rogers in endgame (laughs) Isn't that crazy? What? That was his only interesting credit. I was like, that's totally bizarre. But he was the stand-in that was sitting there for some of that scene. Richard Sanders was the German delegate, and he played Les Nessman on WKRP in Cincinnati. Robert Carvalis was Larrabee here. He played the same character on Get Smart. He was one of two people who ends up playing the same character. Beverly Hart was model number two. Um, I don't know who that is in this film. Um, Yeah, like, so when... uh... When they go when they go to see Levinson Siegel, he bursts into a room full of models and they're all yeah. screaming at him. So that's just I'm, the second one of I those. I guess yeah, I guess it. Um, but she played Susie in X-ray, and the High Priestess in Star Trek V, which is uh, Final Frontier, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember who the High Priestess was in that. I'm not sure, but um, Dick Durock played the Jump Master. That was the first guy to get kicked out of the plane. He will be back later this year in Coast to Coast which uh, hopefully we can find before then, but otherwise you won't be hearing much about that from us. He'll also be in any which way you can. He played Swamp Thing in Swamp Thing and The Return of Swamp Thing. Yeah. And he was Bill Travis in Stand By Me. Um, I don't remember who the Bill Travis character is. It's been a while since I saw that. Stand By Me, Bill Travis. Mm. I'm assuming one of the adults. Yeah. Um, Bobby Porter played the the Maxwell Smart clone, the small the small clone. He was the purple people eater in the movie Purple People Eater. <laughs> um, he also played Cornelius in Battle for Planet of the Apes. Okay. And he will be a Rhode Island senator later this year in First Family. And he has stunt and stunt coordinator credits all over the place. And then the last credit I want to mention here was uh, my second choice for porn name <laughs> when I found out Dick Wolf was taken. Dick Warlock, <laughs> who played Chaos on plane which i'm guessing is just one of the agents yeah he did stunts in firestarter escape from new york inner space the abyss and his name is dick warlock well we had him uh earlier this year too did we yeah uh because that, that's why i got really excited is like oh this is our, our second uh our second dick warlock i feel like i would remember that name but he uh midnight madness oh okay yeah he, he has did some stunts, stunts in there yeah I'm trying to think of what stunts there were in that movie who knows Anyway, I just feel like this this movie falls short of what it popular, could have been. Yeah, of how great the show was. I mean, the show was it was only on for five years, but it it, it had a good run and obviously inspired 
not just this movie, but other movies yeah. in which Barbara Feldon would appear. And I feel like that the, the dynamic of, of 86 and 99, like working as a pair really helps the story. And I know that they're trying to add this 22 plot line, but it just, I don't know. It just bothered me that 99 wasn't even mentioned. Yeah. It, it felt like they wanted for every single character to possibly be a bad guy or a spy. And so they had to make everybody new. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that that wasn't necessary. You could have at least brought like the other major characters. Like apparently 99, like Felden was never even asked if she wanted to come back yeah. for a sequel. Like, how does that make sense? She was at least asked for the other TV movie and right. said no. <laughs> and she was offered her, or maybe she came back for the I, second I, TV movie, but she, she refused. Them, yeah. they, they asked her to do a cameo in the Steve Carell one. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. So I think that the difference here is having not seen the show because I thought a lot of these jokes were hilarious and it's a stupid sense of humor, but I think it's right up my alley. Uh, And so I probably would just absolutely love the show if I'd ever actually seen it, Mm -hmm. but I really enjoyed the movie. (laughs) Well, well, think of the movie, but with more Mel Brooks flair. Well, that would probably make Patrick hate it. Yeah, that would be a downer. (laughs) I'm not the biggest Mel Brooks fan. Uh, I mean, I like him as a person. I just, uh, I a lot of his humor is just not. It's never connected with me. But I'm I'm a sucker for for puns and slapstick. So yeah. this is oh, totally me. I, I just feel it's like it's just all rehashed. Yeah. And and not in to me for me not in like the Naked Gun way. Like oh the Naked Gun. This is all just jokes from the show. But uh, the the Police Squad show. Right. But I finding them just as funny in this movie. That's interesting. I, w- in I wonder why. I wonder what the difference is there. Like, do, do, that's a cheaper version of the jokes? Or... Yeah, I, I think overall... Because they clearly reused jokes from Police Files on... Oh, absolutely. No, they, they, they 100% did a lot. Yeah. Um, but I think they, the really heavy-handed of Maxwell Smart's catchphrases bothered me. Uh, it, it's like they had to... It's like every scene had to have one. Did you see the, the Steve Carell one, though? Yeah. Because he uses the missed it by that much twice in that movie. Yeah. He only used it once in the nude bomb. Right. But he uses it twice in that movie, and it's not funny either time. Now, I, I'm not a huge fan of the, that movie either. Yeah, but the only time that he uses it in the nude bomb, I feel like it's really solid use of the line. Like, mm-hmm. missed it by that much is funny in that in that scene. Yeah. And uh, I also feel like they were trying to lean into the things that they could do in a movie that they couldn't do on the TV show. But I didn't feel like there was anything in this movie that they couldn't do on the TV show, with the exception of the budget. Yeah, but they're also, like, I don't think they were saying bullshit and stuff like that on the uh, TV show. Yeah, like, this, this I didn't see the TV show, obviously, so I don't know. But it feels like this was a little bit more over the top. They had a driving desk. They had they drove, uh, you know, trams around the Universal Studio lot. Like, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said, other than the budget, I don't feel like this was anything larger. I, I, I certainly felt like this was a TV movie. Yeah, like well, it definitely way, was a TV movie. And... Yeah, which might be why maybe IMDb is mistaken and it was always 4-3 and uh, it was supposed to be just a TV movie and at the last second they were like, we could put this in theaters and left it that way. But um, It certainly looked like it shot that way to me. It didn't look like anything was was, you know, not meant to be shot that way. Yeah, and especially in the very, very beginning of the movie, that stuff before the actual title comes up that felt like almost pal like low resolution low mm. frame rate like weirdness i wonder if we did watch a tv cut and that but was it's it... called the nude bomb though not the tv movie name oh okay yeah maybe what was the tv movie name uh maxwell smart returns or something like that the return of maxwell smart which is what the original script was called before the producers were like make it about nude bombs and call it nude bomb I feel like they would have been better served by the other name because I, if you had told me it was called The Return of Maxwell Smart, I would have known, even having not seen the TV show, that this was a Get Smart movie. I had no idea the, what the nude bomb was about until yeah. you told me. Honestly, the nude bomb sounds like like one of those like uh, Vincent Price, like Dr. Goldfoot in the Bikini Machine type right. movies where it's <laughs> yeah. just going to be a bunch of people running around on a beach from like a crappy monster costume. But yeah, that's not what this movie was about at all. So, 
so I am gonna say that this isn't a must watch. I'm okay. not gonna recommend, but I really enjoyed it. Cool. That's fair. Richard, can you give an up or down? Uh it's gonna be a down for me. I mean it was okay. I just again being a fan of the show, it just didn't do anything for me. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna give it a down too. I feel like um this could have been something really amazing if uh it had gotten the full effort that it sounds like the show deserved. I enjoyed the film also, like Jess. It sounds like if they had given this all of their effort that it would have ended up like Austin Powers and it would have been, you know, impossible to not give it a couple sequels um, right away. And uh, that didn't happen. So I'm going to say down on this one. Um, Richard, where do you think this goes in your list? I'm going to put this uh, between Midnight Madness and Hero at Large. Between Midnight Madness and Hero at Large, okay. So this is uh, in the upper third, I think, of my movies for the year. Uh, it's actually right by Hero at Large. It's just above Hero at Large for me, too, and right below Foxes. For me, this is going to be a weird tonal placement, but uh, for me, this goes between cruising and don't answer the phone, <laughs> which is it's a weird place to put this comedy but um that would be two spaces above hero at large (laughs) in that placement but uh, i think that's where it goes because i would like to watch don't answer the phone again right now and i feel like i could give this movie some time to watch it again (laughs) um but yeah i think uh, that's where i'm going to put it right between cruising and don't answer the phone which might not even be in my top half but that's all right you know not every movie's going to be in the top half most of them won't that's not true exactly half of them will um, <laughs> there will be more than more than half into the 50 percent. <laughs> but yes i think that's about everything for this one i think that's your fault did that. no you did it on purpose I think that's about everything for this one. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Stunt Rock which IMDb says is about an Australian stuntman Grant Page who goes to Los Angeles to work on a television series. He uses his spare time to lend his expertise to rock band Sorcery, whose act features duels between the King of Wizards and the Prince of Darkness. We leave you now with the trailer for Stunt Rock. Ladies and gentlemen, Sorcery.
stunt rock, the ultimate rush.